last few weeks I've been talking to you about how to hear God, how to live in living present communion with the Holy Spirit, and not just uh, know about God, but how to know Him personally. So we've been on this for maybe two months now. But I want to continue on that, and I want to show you one way in which God speaks that you may not have thought of before, maybe some of you have, but, but I, I suspect this might be a new thought to quite a few of you, and we're going to start in Genesis. Genesis 18, 19, God is speaking, and he says, I have chosen Abraham in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. God says, in the New King James, it says, God, God says, I have known Abraham. I have made myself known to him so that he can teach his children and grandchildren. So if you're Abraham's son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter, and the New Testament says Abraham is our father uh, three or four times, that he's our father in the faith. How do we know about God? From dad. God, I need to know what you want me to do. Listen to your dad and your mom. It really is that simple. God says, I revealed myself to Abraham so that he can teach his children and his grandchildren. If you're Abraham's son and daughter or grandson and granddaughter, God is not going to do the same thing to you that he did to grandpa. He expects you to listen to grandpa and learn what God taught grandpa. And then you compound that in your own life and grandpa's ceiling is your floor. If you ignore mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, then you're starting over all the time. Every generation in America has to have revival because we didn't listen to what God did in mom and dad and grandma and grandpa's generations. God says, I revealed myself to grandpa. You listen to grandpa and you'll be listening to me. It's right there. You see it? I showed myself to Abraham so that he can tell his children and grandchildren what I did in him. Next verse. Deuteronomy 32, 45 through 47. Moses said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to carefully observe all the words of this law. God's command to parents is, You teach your children what I have done and what I have commanded so, by logic, we can know that it is our job to listen to mom and dad when they tell us right and wrong what God has commanded or not. God gives the law to one generation and he says, you pass it on to the next one, I'm not going to do it again. I expect your kids to listen to you. I expect you to parent them correctly. Ephesians 6, 1-3 it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long in the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. You don't graduate out of that at 18. I, mean, I, I don't have to obey my dad's instructions, but I never graduate out of honor my father and mother. And I better take my mom and dad's advice seriously. 
They've lived a few more years than I have, and they know some things. And God's command to the fathers is, bring up your children in the training and admonition of the Lord. So by inference, we can note, children, listen to dad. He's got some things to tell you, and when he does, it's God. You're not on your own in trying to hear God, figure life out, and learn. I realize that a lot of people in the room had really bad parents. I get that. A whole bunch of you have parents who didn't walk with the Lord. They taught you more sin than righteousness. They damaged a bunch of you. I, I get that. I, I really do. But honor your father and mother. No one is exempt from that command. You may not know how I would, how could I possibly honor my father. I don't know. Well, ask the Lord and he will show you. John Bevere is a name that a lot of you will know. He's a very famous preacher, author, great man of God. Um, got saved while in college or after, so sometime in his middle 20s. He was powerfully, supernaturally born again, raised by complete pagan parents, and gets born into God and is on fire, and he's telling his parents, you need to get right with God, Jesus is real, and you know, they're not having any of that. In the middle of that, he's going to move in with a new Christian friend that he made, and they're going to be roommates. And his unsaved dad says, I don't think that's a good idea. Just this specific situation, his dad had some advice for him. I don't think that is that guy's going to be a good roommate. I don't think it's a good situation. And John says, I thought in his 22 or 24 or 26-year-old self, he said, my dad doesn't know God. I've prayed about it. This guy's a Christian. We're going to move in together and be roommates. And it, this is going to be a fine situation. And he said, it was an utter disaster. And everything my dad said came true. And I blew him off because my dad wasn't saved. He doesn't know God. I have the Holy Spirit. God will correct me if I need corrected. Well, he was correcting him. God was telling him don't do it. Through dad. So it's his sermon, not mine, but he says, you know, honor your parents even if they aren't saved, if they aren't walking with God. Find a way to respect them and listen to them. But I do want to point out Ephesians 6.1. This one says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. There are some of you whose parents are so bad, abusive or criminal or just total heathens, that your parents may be so bad that there is no way to honor or respect them except by the power of Jesus Christ. You can't do it in your own flesh. I don't have love. I don't have respect. All I have is trauma and bad memories or whatever the case may be. I know there's as many stories here as there are people in the room. Some of you have fantastic great parents. A lot of you don't. In the Lord, there is a way to honor your father and mother. To respect them. There is a way. But there may not be a human way to do it. I get that. But there is a supernatural way to do it. Also, I want to point out that the verse says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. You have parents in the Lord. Even if your earthly father and mother did not parent you very well, you have people who are your spiritual mother and father figures. Paul says that to the church in the next verse here, that he is their 
father figure. He said, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. Paul is fathering this church. He says later, I became your father when I preached the gospel to you. Uh, it is a real thing that you have spiritual father and mother figures in your life, older, mature, godly people who have formed your spirit in one way or another. And Paul says that happens when somebody preaches or teaches you the way of the Lord. And I just want to point out again here, Paul says, I am your spiritual father, and I am pleading, encouraging, and urging you, and that is God speaking to you. Verse 13, he goes on, he says, for, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as in, it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Paul came to their church and he preached, and he said, I am like your spiritual father, and you listened to me, but you didn't think, oh, that's Pastor Paul, that's God speaking to me. God, give me a word. Hey, you were in church on Sunday when Mitch preached to you. Take that and run with it. Paul says, you didn't receive what I told you just as the words of men, but it is, in truth, it is the word of God. I'm your spiritual father, and what I tell you is the word of God. That's what Paul says there. The next verse, verse 14, says, be imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. Now we get a new word here, and it's imitate. Again, we're not on our own in figuring out what God wants, what God is saying. Paul says, look at, he's to the Thessalonian church, which is in Greece. He says, look at the churches in Judea, that's around Jerusalem, and imitate them. Why would Paul say imitate those Christians? Because most of them were the ones who actually personally knew Jesus who were there at the resurrection and the upper room and the ascension. Just look at them. They knew Jesus. You've just heard the gospel. They knew him in the flesh. Do what they do, and you'll be all right. It's okay to copy other Christians who you see succeeding. God doesn't have to start over fresh with you Every scripture, every word, every situation in your life, you just get a download from heaven. No, God says, look around you, see who's doing it right, who's succeeding, and do it their way. Let them be your spiritual fathers and mothers. Yeah? All right. Next one. Hebrews 13.7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. The people who, authors, preachers, pastors in the past, spiritual mother and father figures, people you honor and respect and who are forming you spiritually, if you see that they have succeeded in parenting or budgeting or prayer or worship or whatever it is, and it's a crowd of people, it's not just, not just one person, but what are they doing that I like? Do what they do. We hear God through the spiritual authorities in our life. Mom and dad, spiritual mom and dad. Imitate those people. Next scripture, Hebrews 6.12. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God is speaking to you all the time. 
Some of that's going to come in your heart. Some of it's going to come through your Bible reading. Some of it will come through a sermon or a book that you read. But some of it is God's voice to you is the lives of the people in this church. Nobody's going to say anything, but God expects you to pay attention to the people around you and say, hey, that lady's had it together for 40 years. I know her life isn't perfect, but she's on fire for God. I need to go get to know her. What are you doing? Because when I'm your age, I want to be like you. 1 Corinthians 4, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. There's that father figure in Paul again. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only had one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. That's a really brave thing for Paul to say. That's really brave. Imitate me. When I live my life, it is a message from God. That's, that's pretty courageous of Paul to claim. Next one, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, Paul says the same thing again. Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Another translation says, follow me as I follow Christ. You may have heard it that way before. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I have delivered them to you. Tradition! <laughs> Tradition. Here you get this new word here. Paul says, tradition. Paul says, I praise you that you keep the traditions that I handed down to you. Mom and dad, grandpa and grandma had a way of doing things. And they taught you how to do them. And Paul says, I praise you. God says, I praise you when you follow what your mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, spiritual fathers and mothers have taught you to do. Tradition has kind of become a dirty word in the modern world and even in the church. Seen as something empty and maybe meaningless routine. But tradition is just imitating mom and dad, grandpa and grandma over multiple generations. It becomes tradition. When multiple generations honor their father and mother enough to copy their faith over three and four and ten generations, you have tradition. This is the way we do it in this church. This is the way we do it in this family. This is the way the church, capital C, does it because it's tradition. It doesn't have to be meaningless and empty routine. If it's done in honor your father and mother, then it's God speaking. It's us honoring what God did in grandpa and grandma's generation. And we imitate their faith and we love and honor and learn from what God did in their generation and we continue to keep it alive. You don't have just physical family parents. You've got a spiritual father and mother figure, but you're the product of thousands of people in your family tree but also in our spiritual family tree Four, thousands of forefathers and foremothers in your ancestry in our nation in the church capital C and we are to honor them to value what they would tell us G.K. Chesterton has a fascinating passage that he, where he wrote about the democracy of the dead 
tradition is the democracy of the dead. Meaning, when we keep the traditions handed down to us, which the Bible commands us to do, it is the democracy of the dead. He says, it is arrogant and ignorant for the people who are alive right now to think that we know anything without our forefathers and foremothers. And when we do things the way they did them, that is their vote in how the world should be. And the fact that they're dead doesn't mean they don't get a vote. Or that they don't have a voice. Because they do. And especially for those of us in Christ who believe they're not dead, but they're still alive. Still existing, still speaking, still praying for us. Then in your family... In our church, in the church, capital C, what would great-great-great-great-grandma tell us about what is right? Well, she'd be shocked about how much time you waste online and on TV. Great-great-grandpa would be shocked that you sleep past the sun coming up. (laughs) He'd have some things to say about your work ethic. The way you spend money compared to what they did. They attended church three times a week at least. There's a reason why the song was Sweet Hour of Prayer. Your great-great-grandma would come and put her finger up your nose and say, Honey, if you ain't praying an hour a day, you're not saved. Even those of you who think you're from total pagan families, you skip over the last two or three generations I can pretty much guarantee you that all 64 of your great-great-great-grandparents were solid Christians. And you are the product of their prayers when their kids went astray. And great-grandma was burning the midnight oil, praying for the salvation of her family. And you don't have a clue because your parents and your grandparents were so screwed up. But you go far enough back, you leapfrog back several generations And you have a heritage of prayer and worship and godliness that you don't even know of. Listen to that grandma from five generations ago. Listen to grandpa. Well, how do I know what they would say? Read what the world was like. Read Christian authors from that day. Some of you are getting this. Paul says, I praise you that you keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Paul says, do exactly the way I taught you to do it, repeatedly, over and over, for 2,000 years. Well, that's going to get empty. It doesn't have to. If you know why you're doing it and who you're doing it to and what you're doing it for, God told the generations in Deuteronomy, pass on my word to your kids. The problem comes when grandma and grandpa and mom and dad say, do what I told you. And they don't explain the why. Then we got a generation growing up who knows right and wrong, but they don't know why it's right and wrong. And they raise their kids in complete moral anarchy, which is where we're at now. Because the traditions didn't get passed down in a way that the next generation understood why. Great, great grandma and grandpa knew you never have sex before you're married. They just said, don't do it. And it became something that was wrong, but I don't know why, and I better hide it. 
rather than this is the why, this is the heart, this is the meaning, this is the substance of it. Tradition doesn't have to be empty. Tradition is just honoring great-great-grandma and great-great-grandpa. Honor your father and mother. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Epistle means letter, which is the books of the New Testament that we have. Paul says, hold fast, stand in the traditions that I taught you. But Mitch, God is doing a new thing. And that's a scripture, I can't argue with it. But every time I hear that, it's in pride and boredom and disrespect for previous generations. Did I mention pride? It's always the young people that say it. God's going to do a new thing in our day. Revival. Yeah, well, we need revival because you aren't listening to Grandpa. There was revival in his day, and you didn't pay attention to his stories. I'm really in a great mood this morning. I really am excited. I hardly slept at all last night. I was so pumped. I'm not here to chew anybody out. It just, do you see that this is true? This, yes, God's going to do a new thing, but it's an old thing he has to redo. Because there's nothing new under the sun. It just has to start over with your generation. Because you baby boomers rejected everything your parents taught you. And you millennials rejected everything your parents didn't teach you. We generation Xers are just in the middle of all that. and Twiddling our thumbs with nothing to do. Yes, God is going to do a new thing. Yes, for sure. But not because we're bored with church as it is and not because we're dishonoring mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and the way they always did church is now old and stodgy and we're going to do something new and exciting and we're going to have the spirit when they didn't. God is not going to honor that attitude. When the modern, current church tosses out traditions as something empty and meaningless and irrelevant to modern life, we are literally ignoring our fathers and mothers. We're telling them that their decisions and actions and teachings don't matter. We're dishonoring our forefathers and our foremothers, and we're ignoring what God told them and what God did in their day. I'm not saying that every, uh, we should think everything that's happened in the past is just peachy and we can't identify our parents' sin. You may have to honestly say, okay, yeah, dad had a temper and I'm not going to do that. Mom was a gossip and, and I learned that and I need to repent of that and I'm not going to do that. Uh, you may be from a long line of adultery and divorce and sexual sin and, and drugs or alcohol or whatever it is and you may have to break some generational chains. But we do it in honor. Well, what does that look like, Mitch? How do I honor my adulterous dad? When you see for the first time the reality and the wickedness of your parents' sin, number one, I start with, I am that way too. I am the one flesh that they created. That's in me too. As bad as my dad's temper hurt me, I am prone to that. Start with humility, number one. You, even the most traumatic abuses and betrayals of your parents, you cannot judge them in a sinful way and hold it against them. We must forgive. So when I see that 
my mom has a gossip problem or my dad has a temper problem or whatever it is, a selfish response is to pull away, to hate them, to reject them. I'm not going to be like that. I'm following after God. Honor, father and mother, is compassion. My mom was broken by her mom or her dad or her uncle or whatever. My dad's temper came from his dad and his dad's temper came from his dad and they did the best they can. I love them. I forgive them. I'm honest about the sin that I don't want to repeat, but I'm going to draw near to them in compassion and respect rather than rejection and distance and blame. So those of you who've been around, you've heard my story about my dad and his uh, terribly violent temper. But his dad raised him that way. My dad was honest enough to say, I know I'm worse than my dad. I've multiplied it, and that's the way sin works. But my grandpa, he was a nasty, mean man. But his mom blew her head off with a shotgun when he was young, and he's the one that found her. That probably did something to him. He's just a broken little boy, too. And I saw him as a mean, cussing kind of old grandpa. But somewhere in there is a young man who remembers his mom's suicide. And that's the man that raised my dad, and my dad raised me. When I was in high school, I told everybody how bad he was. I didn't want anything to do with him. I couldn't wait to get off to college and get away. Now I love my dad with all my heart. He has changed, but at first he didn't. But there was 15 years there where Sarah and I loved him and prayed for him and reassured him and forgave him. And I know you all got your own stories too, and I got your own tears. Honor your father and mother doesn't mean that you think everything they did is okay, that God isn't going to bring justice for what was done to you. He will. He will. But it means that when I see my mom and dad's sin, Grandpa and Grandma's sin, when I see the things that run in my family, I reject the sin. I do not reject my parents. I break the chains of sin by the Holy Spirit, but I draw near to my parents in compassion and forgiveness. And when you do, you will find God. So we stand fast and we hold the traditions. We don't reject what grandma and grandpa taught us because they weren't perfect people or everything mom and dad has done or the way they've lived life is wrong because they hurt me. No. You sift through. You can break the sin. Be honest about what you need to unlearn about how to handle money or sex or alcohol or temper or gossip or whatever. Unlearn that, but then receive what they did teach you that's right and follow those traditions. Second Thessalonians 3, 6, and 7. We command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, stay away from all believers who don't follow the traditions you received from us, for you know that you ought to imitate us. Paul says, I command you, stay away from people who call themselves Christians, and they don't follow what I told you. That is happening in our world like never before. 
people who call themselves Christians hold denominations, waving the, wave, waving the rainbow flag. They have completely lost the plot. Completely lost the plot. That isn't love to let people go to hell. Love is to say, no, that is a sin, and you must stop, and you can be forgiven. Not, it's okay, continue on, God loves you just the way you are and doesn't want to change you. I command you, in Jesus' name, stay away from those who call their faith Christianity, but they're not following the traditions of 2,000 years of Christianity. Hello. Traditions matter. They give us direction. They give us morality. It's a compass that great-great-great-great-grandpa and grandma passed down to us saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is what works. This is what's right. This is what's godly. Do it. Don't walk away and have to relearn it all like our generation did. Follow the traditions. What is traditional Christianity? What is New Testament what has always been accepted and believed. There's always been doctrinal debates on the finer points between Catholics and Protestants and all the Protestant denominations and so on. But Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only way to eternal life, and sin is sin, and we all need saved. That's the gospel, and it will never change. Anybody who says they're a Christian and can't agree to that bare minimum is not a Christian. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight, in the NIV says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. In the New King James it says, Don't remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. In the old world they didn't have fences. They put stones on the corner of property boundaries to mark out the survey. And if you moved the boundary stone, you were stealing somebody else's property, enlarging your side of the fence. It's a lot easier to move, roll a rock than to uproot a fence and move it over three feet. You can't do that overnight and not get caught. But you can sneak out in the backyard and roll the neighbor's rock over three feet and get three feet more of property yourself. Okay, God says, don't move the boundary stones. That is absolutely spiritual and moral for us also. Don't move the boundaries. They never move. It's not a new world it's not a new morality. It's not a new definition of sin or righteousness. Not a new definition of love. There's nothing new in the gospel that hasn't been seen in the last 2,000 years. Don't move the boundaries. Great, 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 great grandma and grandpa knew where the boundaries were. Live in the same boundary lines they lived in. You have... Two parents, you have four grandparents, you have eight great-grandparents, you have 16 great-great-great-grandparents, sorry, two greats, you have 32 three-great-grandparents, 64 great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, and 128 five-great-grandparents. That's like 300 people that you are a direct result of. All 300 of them made into one. It's you. It's eight generations back. If I'm number one, going back to five greats, that's eight generations. Uh, that's my, my grandpa uh, in New York fought in the revolution with General Washington. They were from western New York, lived on Lake Erie. And my five great grandpa and his brother and two sons all fought in the revolution. 
So that's how far you, you go back um, in, in five grades. So there's 200 and some years of people coming together, generations condensing down to produce me and you. Those people loved you, prayed for you, made this nation for you, built their church for you, had hopes for your life and your future and your freedom and your salvation. Don't ignore them. Follow what they would say is right. They knew more than we do. Our, or I'm talking to people about traditions and we literally have been so dismantled in our modern world that we don't have any. Even preparing this, I realized three-fourths of the room isn't even going to know what I'm talking about because we don't have any traditions. We have none. In the church and in America, it's just, they're just gone. They've been completely dismantled. We don't have a culture like other nations have. And even in other nations, the modern world is destroying all of that. But there used to be a traditional clothing and a traditional music and a traditional food and, and a definition of what it meant to be Croatian or Chinese. In America and in all the modern world, that's just been destroyed. We don't have any identity. We don't have any moral compass. We don't have any history. We don't have any soul. We don't have any future to live for. We're, the world just tells you, define yourself. Make you be you. Make up your, who you are. No, the past tells us who we are. Your parents tell you who you are. You came from them. You're them. You don't get to define yourself. God tells you who he made you to be. It's gone so crazy, we don't even respect the boundary of chromosomes anymore. I mean, it's literally insane how completely lawless and boundaryless our world is. And we're like the frog in the pot. It's just happened over time. And so we discuss these things like they need disgust. It's ludicrous. We refuse to be defined by anything other than what I want in this moment and how I feel inside. No, we're defined and instructed and guided by the people we came from and the world that they hoped to give us. We don't have any identity, prophetic identity anymore, so we just are lost, have to make up our own. So I don't know what traditions I'm referring to. I really don't, because they're gone, if there ever were any. What defines an American, what defines a Christian is so unraveled so self-defined in our world that listening to great-grandma and great-grandpa and obeying that is a foreign idea. In fact, the word obey is a four-letter word, even in the church. You don't have a right to tell me what to do. Everybody's their own priest and their own prophet and has their own faith, and it's a problem. If you want to learn what the world was like before 150 years ago, everything since then has been unraveling, you can learn the history of your family. You can learn the accomplishments and the mindset and the, read old books. Read history. See what the world was like because great, 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 great grandma and grandpa would have some things to tell you about your work ethic and your saving money and Dating. Dating didn't exist in all of world history until 100 years ago. 
let a girl go out by herself with a guy? Who would do that? That's stupid. Things happen. Well, I don't need a chaperone. Great-grandma would say you do. This is the practicality of what I'm talking about. It was totally improper. It was not allowed. I know people snuck around. But I'm saying, and you may have to leapfrog a few generations when you come from a godless family, but you get back there far enough and your great-great-great-great-grandparents were praying for you and they knew how to do it right. They had correct sexual boundaries and proprieties. They knew what a gender role and an expectation was. They knew how to fight for their country and how to attend church and how to not sleep after the sun was over the horizon and not waste your life online on TV. Their world worked better than ours. It wasn't perfect by any means. But ours is really, really bad. I would be time to look back and say, how did it used to work? We've lost some answers. Because G.K. Chesterton says this, every high civilization decays by forgetting obvious things. <laughs> things that were obvious to great-great-great-great-grandma and grandpa, we have forgotten. And our civilization is unraveling. Tradition, in the sense that I'm using it this morning, this quote says, Tradition is the sacred communion of the dead, the living, and the yet unborn. You are not your own. The Bible says you were bought with a price, but you were produced by your parents. We're all part of a generation in our family line. And tradition is you teaching your children and your grandchildren what grandpa and grandma taught you. Not to do things memorized and meaningless, but this is what's important. This is what's valuable. This is what's true. And it connects you into your family tree and into the history of the church and the history of our country like nothing else will. And you become part of something much bigger than yourself. And you will find yourself when you allow yourself to be defined by the people you came from. Quote from Roger Scruton, Traditions are answers that have been discovered to enduring questions. All the generations have the same questions. Where is God? What does he say? What is the meaning of life? Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? And that goes all the way back to David and Abraham and Noah. Traditions are the answers that previous generations figured out. Listen. Last one, I think. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Nobel Peace Prize winner, but he spent years in a Soviet gulag concentration camp in Siberia for being a Christian and speaking out against the communist government. And he wrote later, after he was released from prison, he wrote lots of books. Highly recommend anything he wrote if you're uh, interested in that sort of thing. But he analyzed the communist revolutions in the Soviet Union and behind the Iron Curtain in Europe and China and Vietnam, if you know about the killing fields in Cambodia. Anytime there's a dictator government, the number one thing they do is separate the people from their history. There's, there can be no national identity, no family loyalties, no Christian loyalties. And in China and Thailand and, and, and Vietnam, it's, it's the, also Buddhist. Just no loyalty except to the dictator state. We have to chop off all tradition, all moral compass, all religion, all history, so that you don't know who you are, so that we can make you who we want you to be. It's happening in America. It's happening in the church. 
The church of Jesus Christ is losing our history and therefore losing our direction. Tradition is the answer. I'm not saying we're going back to singing six hymns every Sunday. And and I'm not going to start preaching out of the King James Bible. That's not the kind of tradition I mean. But meaningful, landmark boundaries that the church and the nation have always held are being moved. Listen to mom and dad. Listen to grandma and grandpa and you will hear God. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for our moms and dads. Thank you for grandpas and grandmas. Thank you for our forefathers and foremothers in our country and in our church, in this congregation and the church as a whole, Lord. Thank you for the guidance that they give. Thank you for the example they have lived. Thank you for the prayers that they prayed on our behalf, for the work that they did, for the revival that they lived in. Lord, we don't want to drop the torch. We want to be those who would not have to start over from the bottom every time but to honor our fathers and mothers and listen to what they would have to teach us, to learn from their mistakes, to repent of their sins, but to honor what they did right so we can not have to start over from scratch, but their ceiling can be our floor. And you take us further in righteousness and holiness and success and prosperity as a country, as a congregation, as the church of Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you for our mothers and fathers, for our foremothers and forefathers. We bless them in Jesus' name. We bless you. Thank you for your teaching and your leading and your speaking to us through them. We forgive their sin. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.